Now, y'all are astute worshipers, so you've no doubt noticed that because we're in year B in the Sunday lectionary, that we've been in Mark's gospel a lot, and a lot of the sermons have been about Mark's gospel. So you might be a little jarred to be plopped down right in the middle of John. That's because this is one of the strangest facets of the Revised Common Lectionary. So John doesn't get its own year. So it's kind of spread out among years A, B, and C. And right here in the middle of year B, we're going to have about eight weeks of John all about bread. It may be the most focused part of Scripture, according to the Revised Common Lectionary. And I'm all about bread and John's take on it. But for the next few weeks, I'm probably going to focus more on the Old Testament lessons and on the epistles. So this morning, I'm going to focus on our reading from Ephesians. In particular, I want to focus on verses 20 and 21 from the reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more, abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now we're plopped here in the middle of Ephesians and it's pretty confusing about what's going on. But think about what Paul has just said in the previous sections. In the previous sections, Paul has told the Ephesians that the whole fullness of God is going to dwell in their inner being. The whole fullness of God is going to dwell in their hearts. They're going to come to know the width and the breadth and the whole scope of God's presence in their hearts. And the Ephesians were very different than us, but also alike us in many ways. And so they probably heard that and sort of said, like, Really? Do you know my heart? It hasn't happened yet. My heart is still fairly resentful, fairly selfish, fairly worried, fairly anxious, or just kind of fairly whatever it is. I haven't yet felt the whole fullness of God dwell in my inner being. And so Paul is responding to that human skepticism by saying, glory to God whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. So what is that power working in us? What is God's power working in us? I heard a great interview this week. Uh, Michael Pollan, Pollan, who is the author of The Omnivore's Dilemma, a very popular author about food. Uh, He's got a new book out, and he was on Andrew Sullivan's podcast, The Dishcast, which I encourage you to listen. And he said that he's been experimenting with plants, uh, and he had, for him, a kind of powerful and alarming spiritual experience in his garden. And he realized that for his whole life, he'd been assuming the opposite of spiritual is material. Right? That the opposite of spiritual is, is natural. That a, that a kind of spirituality or, or belief in a, in, in, in a divine love, belief in God is dependent upon what he, he described as supernatural acts. But he said what he's come to realize is that he was naive about these things. And what he's come to realize is that the opposite of spiritual is egotistical. The opposite of spiritual is egotistical. Because what he realized in his spiritual experience in this garden was that he was not separate from nature, but a part of nature. That he was in the garden, not distinct from it. It's much like the classic teaching of Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, who said that the the movement of God in the world is moving from I-it to I-thou. From I-it to you and me together, connected. 
And I wonder if that is what Paul is talking about, about the power at work within us, which can't really properly be measured by how much improvement I'm making, but is actually measured by the way that God is decentralizing my experience of the world and expanding the scope of it. And then Paul hits us with a really good news line, friends, that that power is able to accomplish abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. That's really, really good news. Because I don't know about you, but I try to control my life. Try to plan my next steps. Try to make things go according to plan. And yet, I'm not able to pull that off. And it's a good thing because my plans for my life are not as good as what God has in mind. For me, for you, for the church, for our whole world. It's a really thanks be to God line that we cannot conceive fully of what God is doing around us. And that God's power working in in us is a kind of thing that cannot be apprehended by us. It's a kind of thing that has to be trusted in in order to be experienced. Let me say that again. It's the kind of thing that has to be trusted in in order to experience. That's what faith is. God working beyond our scope. And maybe even the realization that my inner being is not yet full of the fullness of God is the very presence of God working in my inner being. That I'm not where I ought to be, but He's pulling to me, me to be where I want to be. Maybe the realization of that disparity is the very power of God working in us, in you, and in me. And then Paul is moved to a great doxology. That's what, that's what the glorying part is. Glory to him from generations to generations in the church. And then remember, if we're defining the opposite of spirituality as egotistical, to glory in something means to be radically forgetful of oneself. To glory in something means that there is something which has been given to me which I could never earn or deserve, and yet it is all around me. And my whole body, my whole self is moved to praise, moved to glory for everything that's been poured out in me and for me. And then at verse 21, Paul moves to glory in the church. Now, if you spend a lot of time in the church, that's as hard to believe as your inner being being renewed. Where is this glory in the, the world of parking lots and potluck dinners of the church? Well, beloved, I think it's actually hiding in plain sight. I think it's hiding in plain sight. The church is the masterpiece of God's grace because the church is a community of people who are learning to trust that God does more than we could ask or imagine. Learn to trust in God who has to be trusted in rather than being controlled. In the last few days, I've had several pastoral visits. People in, one person in hospice care, another person very sick, another person who's suffered the loss of someone very dear to them. And it's in those moments where Jesus teaching in John to Thomas, when Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where we're going. We do not know the future. And Jesus says, yes, you do, because you know me. That becomes very real. That God is present in suffering, in loss, as we look to the uncertain future. And as I think about the, what else I've been experiencing in the midst of those pastoral visits, 
I can begin just for an instance to see what God is doing in us and through us. We spent a week up at Camp McDowell, my family and I, my friend Jack and I were program directors for elementary two, which is fourth and fifth graders. We had a great time. Camp McDowell is the most humid place on earth. It's a buggy sauna. But you know, something I want you to know, it's very cool. I think the, 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 of the summer staff, high school students and college students, I think Holy Trinity was the largest single church represented. Of 20, 25 staff, we had seven or eight high school and college students that are a part of that. And they did a fantastic job. They brought energy and enthusiasm and faithfulness. You would have been very proud to see these young people serve. I thought, what a powerful thing it is that God has given us these college students, and, and they've refreshed us with their energy, and we get to be a part of discipling them. Right, and in the midst of this, these difficult pastoral visits, yesterday we went to King's Trailer Park, and, and man, we're, we're, getting, we're starting again to get to know folks. Relationships are starting to build with new people who we're getting to know who've moved into the park. And then yesterday we had a joyous wedding here at 1130 in the morning, which is a, the result of answered prayer. And I realized that God is working in ways that we can't control, that we don't always understand, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of life and in death. And then, because, you know, I'm a hard case, so God has to make it really, really clear to me, I parked over here by the columbarium, and I decided to check the fig tree that we have in our columbarium. You know, we planted that fig tree seven years ago when I was installed as the rector of Holy Trinity, and I came by, and there were like seven or eight fully ripe figs on that tree. First time that, they, that that fig tree has borne fruit. So I picked those, and I realized that this abundant work of God that is more than we can ask or imagine operates on its own time and surprises us, but is the truth. And to that I say, glory. Okay, friends, I want you to close the sermon. I want you to do something with me. All right, if you would turn in your Book of Common Prayer to page 102. And you see at the end of page 102 is our very same verse, which is one of the closing sentences of morning prayer. And isn't, isn't it beautifully placed there? Think about all the powerful promises we've said about God in, in the morning prayer, about His love for us, about the goodness of the gospel, right, and bringing our, our heartaches and our pains to God. Think about everything we've brought to God in worship, which begs the question, is this happening? Is this true? And so we're, we're meant to end with this same response that Paul gave to the Ephesians. So let's read it together from Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to Him from generation to generation in the church, and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.